I apologize for the font. I didn't realize that the font was gonna be that light compared to the background. Should be good. Uh, Matthew sixteen, Matthew six. I'm sorry, with nineteen and twenty one. Title. The title of uh, today's message is "What's Your Treasure." Um, last week, uh, for those who were here, or those. For everyone, actually, uh, we spoke about um, walking by faith uh, from Second Corinthians five, verse seven. Uh, Walk by faith and not by sight. Uh, very familiar verse, and we saw uh, really what Paul was was meaning by that term, in light of having eternity in mind. Uh, we spoke a lot about eternity last last uh, week, and I and I as I was trying to plan for this week. Um, I felt it was good because our, our vision statement for the church, if you don't know, is to prepare people for eternity. Um, and so I think this, I was, as I was planning for this Sunday, I said I think we should probably stay a little bit on eternity. Um, and so in light of that, today's message comes from the same helm. So the same thought, the same view um, will be echoed in this one, but uh, we, we kind of take a closer look on something I touched on last week. Uh, Matthew 6. Again, uh, keep PD and, and Courtney in the, in the prayers as PD preaches this morning in Rhode Island. Uh, I think they, they traveled out there yesterday. Um, yeah, so they're out there now. Uh, so just keep them in prayer. All right, when you have it, Matthew 6, verse 19 and 21, I'm going to ask you one more time to stand up, please. Matthew 6, verse 19 and 21. And bear with me, I'm still coming down from a cold. So you hear the sniffles and uh, all that. Y'all heard it already, but yeah. And it reads, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Amen. Lord, we thank you. We honor you and we love you, Lord, knowing that you are the only God. Um, you are uh, the supreme God, and there's none like you. Lord, at this time, Lord, let your word um, that is going to be preached, Lord, let every word that comes out of my mouth uh, be according to your scriptures. Let me not try to fill in blank what you've intentionally left blank, Lord. Let me simply echo what you've already said through your scriptures, Lord. I'm going to let the seed fall on good ground, uh, that we may grow more in knowledge of you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Uh, bear with me as I pull up notes. So like I said, last week um, we spoke on eternity. Uh, we spoke on uh, how to live in light of that. Walking by faith and walking by sight and not by sight. Paul in uh, 2 Corinthians, just to kind of give a little recap, um, Paul was, was comparing, was talking to the Corinthian church and was talking about how he and the other ministers were being persecuted. Um, you know, we went back to chapter four and we talked about, you know, persecuted but not destroyed. And, and you know, the, those four sets of uh, those extremes where he's saying, listen, we got this bad, 
but he never let us get to the, get to the worst. You know, uh, you know, crushed, um, but not destroyed. As a matter of fact, let me go down there right now. Second uh, Corinthians four. Bless you. So Paul, it was talking to the Corinthian church and was trying to encourage them. Um, in uh, verse, yeah, verse 8, sorry for verse 8, says, We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed. And so Paul, in this, in this, in this exchange of words, was trying to tell the Corinthian church, like, listen, he started off with the analogy, if you remember, that we are, we are like, uh, we have treasures in jars of clay. I remember I explained that the jars of clay is, is letting us know that when we get saved, it doesn't mean that we have these new bodies and we're no longer sick. I mean, give an example right now uh, that, we, you know, we no longer get sick. We no longer have troubles in our lives. We no, no longer have issues. As a matter of fact, in the time of Paul, uh, like I said, when you when you profess your faith in Christ, it, it was trouble. Like you put a red dot on your forehead. Um, they, they came after you. They came after you for blood. You know, what we're reading about overseas now was at a greater scale at that time. Because, and if Paul could tell you, because Paul at one point was one of those people that was searching out people who were of the way, which is the faith. And so Paul is letting them know, listen, we went through a lot, but guess what? He still had us had our back, you know. And um, you know, I'll go through the pairs real quick. But afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Uh, you know, you you know, he had issues, he had problems, but he never to a point where you know it was the end all of end all. He was perplexed and not driven to despair. We're talking about that. You can be perplexed by certain issues, like if that friend that you've been trusting in for you know all your life is the one that goes and betrays you. And I talked about the psalm that even David wrote about a situation like that. And you're perplexed by it, and you're so confused. It's the effects of you know, the psychological, the physical, the mental, well, psychological and mental, same thing, but the emotional effects of an issue, because sometimes that's even worse than the actual issue itself, but we're not in despair. So, you know, for instance, if somebody, a loved one passes away, we are in a perplexed situation as human. We are emotion, we have emotions as God-given emotions, but we talked about that also, is that our emotions are here to inform us, but not to direct us. So when we get angry, it doesn't mean to direct us and now we act based off that anger, but that anger informs us that we've been offended. And so now we, in our sound mind, we choose what we need to do in reaction of that. Y'all with me? So uh, in perplexed, we are as humans are going to be perplexed by certain things because guess what? We're not God. We don't get it. There's a lot of things we're not going to understand. So we are perplexed, but to be in despair is as one without hope. And if we are a believer, we cannot say that we do not have hope. We have hope in Christ that even there's a saying, and, and I, I didn't mention it last, last week, but it just came back to mind now, that it says, I do not know what my future holds, but I know who holds my future. And so that's what keeps us grounded. So we can have a believer and unbeliever going through the same thing. And an unbeliever, a bona fide believer who knows who he believes in, who he or she believes in, you know, and that's the key thing. We talked about that last week, that we need to know the God that we serve. That's the only way we can walk by faith. Faith is not this. This flimsical, um, I'm going to fake it till I make it. And I, I put a quote, I, I, made, I thought of the quote after I left here, but um, it goes with what I said, is faith is not fake it till you make it. Faith is know it till you show it. So it's not about, you know, I'm just going to fake like I'm happy even though I'm going through things because I have faith that it's going to work. No, faith is I know the God that I serve, and I know in the midst of the trouble that I'm going through that he is still good so I can smile. 
So now your smile is not a, a weak smile where anything can now flip it back to, back to uh, ground zero. But now when you put that smile on, even when issues continue to arise because of that issue, you still are smiling because what you're starting on is grounded, like I said earlier, on a rock. Y'all with me? So, so, so he's, tell, he's encouraging this, the, the, the Corinthian church that you need not to be one without, within despair. You need not to be one without hope. Um, persecuted but not forsaken. They were persecuted, literally, physically persecuted. At one point in the book of Acts, you know, I talked about it last week, you see the disciples, they're beaten almost to death. And guess what? They get up, brush their, brush their robes off, and they went on rejoicing that they may, counted, may be counted worthy to suffer for the name of the Lord. Because they understood, yeah, you may beat me, but guess what? He has not left me alone. God has not abandoned me. Even in this moment where people are asking, where is your God? At the cross, uh, um, I thank God for, for, for bringing this to remembrance. But at the cross, they mimicked Christ and said, where is your God? But not knowing that God was behind it all. In a moment where people may look at you and say, your God cannot be in this. Your God cannot be in control. But guess what? God is behind. Even when it doesn't look like it makes sense, God is still God. So, so he's saying, you know, a persecuted but not forsaken, struck down but not destroyed. And, and we talked about um, that it was pretty much almost if you think about like a wrestling, like college wrestling type thing where you're struck down. But just because you're struck down doesn't mean that you're destroyed. There's a lot of setbacks that come in our lives. And, and so it doesn't mean that just because a setback comes that it means that it's all over. So Paul is trying to encourage the Corinthians. But on the basis of this is that our hope. Our, our, our faith and what keeps us going in our drive is nothing of this world. This world will pass away. So if our, our main goal and our, our main drive is based off of something here, guess what? We will be in despair. Guess what? We will be destroyed. Guess what? We will, we, we will be done. Because at, when that thing wastes away, what, what are we living for? We have people who live their lives to become billionaires. And that's not, I mean, if you, again, if your basis, I mean, if you want to be wealthy, you want to be wealthy. Hey, listen, I'm not, I don't think anybody says I want to be poor. You know, not many people say that. But what I'm saying is my main drive is not to be wealthy. If I get wealthier, I get wealthy. If I don't get wealthy, my life is not over because I have Christ. Are, are y'all with me? So people live their lives for a goal like that. Just simply, I just want to be rich. And guess what? When they get rich and then they lose that money, their whole life is gone. Even in the church, I found people who they, they, you know, they may have a gift of, 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 you know, maybe singing, maybe rapping, maybe even prophecy. And sometimes I look at certain people and I wonder if one day they woke up and they no longer had that gift, would they be able to live on? Because even in the church, sometimes we live based off of our gift. And so now, you know, we've hired mighty because, because of our gift. Whether we're a singer and everybody knows us to be hitting the rips and the runs. And whether we're rapping, everybody knows because we got bars. Or whether we're, we're, uh, we're a prophet and everybody knows because they know, like, when I come, I'm going to read your mail. But let's say if I wake up tomorrow and I'm not, the, the name prophet is no longer on Alan or the name singer is no longer on Alan. Can Alan still survive without the title? That is the question. So even in the church, you see people are going after these temporary things. Because guess what? When you get up there to even to God, God's not going to address you as prophet, overseer, reverend, bishop of the, of the whole uh, Kojic uh, congregation, uh, overseer of the northeast region. Of, of No. The Bible strictly says a good and faithful servant. 
The very thing that even in the, even in the mainstream church, I pray that it's not here, but even in the mainstream church, it seems like we're running away from the only title that, the, that God calls us by. Everybody wants to be served in order to get to the end to be called the servant. I don't understand. I, I, this is, I'm, 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 I think I'm, I'm ranting right now. But it's just, it's just, it's just how do we l- run away from a title that we're looking to get at the end? Because if you ask anybody, everybody wants to say, well, I just want at the end for him to say good and faithful servant. Well, how are you being a servant in this moment when everything you want, you want to delegate to everyone to make yourself look high and mighty? If you want to be something, if you want God to call you by a title, you better work to be that title while you're here. So our aim is to serve, and, and it still goes in line, because our aim is not for us to get a title. Really, if we're truly a believer, it's, it's, it's our aim is for eternity. Our aim is for that title that God will give us for the rest of our lives forever and ever more. And so going back to what Paul was talking to the Corinthians about, Paul was trying to tell the Corinthians, listen, these body, this, this outer man, this outer shell that we have is wasting away. But the inner man is being renewed day by day. In verse, I think, 18 of uh, chapter 4, um, this is a little recap. Uh, verse 16, I'll just read that. It says, so we do not lose hurt, uh, we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient or temporary, but the things that are unseen are eternal. So Paul is saying, listen. I may get beat up. That thing that the bruises and, and the cuts and those things that you're nursing right now because I just came from being persecuted for the name of Christ, the reason why I still have a smile on my face is because my hope is not in this outer shell. It's going to die anyway. We don't get better as we get older. We get worse as we get older. I, I use this example, but we can be in the gym every day now. But guess what? We're going to get to an age where all that doesn't even matter. We could have all the muscles we want, and that's, you know, at a certain age or at a certain point of our body, not even a certain age, but at a certain point in our body, our body will waste away to the point where everything that we did before or we could do before, we can't do it anymore. So our bodies are wasting away whether we want to or not. That's out of our control. But what is in our control is, is feeding that inner man, that treasure in the jar of clay. And so Paul is trying to get eternity stuck into the Corinthians' mind. And this is what should be in the mind of all believers. And so uh, bringing back to now the message today in Matthew 6, we bring it back to Jesus, uh, the Sermon on the Mount. Sorry, pass right by Matthew. The Sermon on the Mount where Jesus, um, this is a sermon that very familiar, um, that uh, even unbelievers refer to as one of the wisest uh, sayings. But uh, Jesus is speaking to them, and the theme of it all is pretty much the mindset of, of, a, of, of someone of the kingdom, of what he was preaching at. And um, at this point, point he's talking about, I'll, I'll read it again. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, they your heart will be also. In this passage, Jesus warns against storing up treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and thieves break in the steel. We have three reasons here that make storing up riches on this earth senseless. Moths. Moths chew up clothing, which was a major form of wealth in that region and time. All physical pleasures wear out at some point. 
those things that make us happy right now, those, those, you know, those physical pleasures that make us happy, they wear out at some point of time. At one, po- at one point, it was the thing to do, and at, one, at another point, as you keep doing it, it's just, ah, uh, the same pleasure ain't even there no more. With each enjoyment, the thrill diminishes like a drug that loses its potency the more it is used. That's why, you know, when you have an antibiotic, you know, they, they tell you to take it for two weeks, but then after two weeks, they got to change your medicine. Why? Because our body becomes accustomed to the antibiotic, and we begin to now fight it, and it no longer has an effect. So that's why they got to keep switching up the medicine. If you ever had to change up the prescription, didn't know why. I just gave y'all a, a medical 101 right now. But, uh, but I'm not a doctor. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, so th- that's the reason why. These physical pleasures will wear out at some point. So moths, that was the symbolism of a moth. The rust, he said, the moth and rust destroy. Rust not only refers to the corrosion of metal, but also the destructive forces of rats and mildew. There are things that lose attraction as they get older, and maybe that they are less able to be enjoyed as you get older, or as your mind matures, you cease to be satisfied by them. You know, like, for instance, I used to play video games day in and day out. Every time a new system came out, I was like, yo, mom, gotta get a new system. Now, my mom was very strict about that. She hardly bought the system. I had to got to swindle my aunts and, and my dad about that. But like now, I got my PS3, it's sitting there. I use it more for Netflix for video, than video games. Like 2K16 came out and I thought about getting it and I was like, ah, I'm still playing 2K15, I'm good. I hardly play it anyway. I, haven't, I don't think I've played a game on my PS3 in over a year. Kid you not. Like I, it's, it's, and the PS4 came out, Xbox One came out. Some probably looking at me like, Xbox One, what are y'all talking about? But these new systems came out, and I was like, I'm not even gonna waste money on it because it's gonna be a Netflix machine just like my PS3 is gonna be. Like, and it's not even time because in the mornings I had time to watch Netflix and watch you know shows and movies and stuff, so I could easily pop in a game. But the satisfaction I used to get in playing the game, I no longer have it anymore. It corroded, the rust. And so, um, and maybe that, yeah, so maybe that they are less able to be enjoyed, or sometimes there's some things that we are not able to enjoy as much as we were before. You know, you used to go to Six Flags and go on every roller coaster. You go on one now, your knees are hurting, and you want to sit down on the bench while the kids are running around like, Mommy, Mommy, let's go! Daddy, Daddy, let's go! They're not able to be, it's not just saying, you're looking at it like, y'all would love to go on that, but my body, you know, my mind, no, anyway, sorry. Uh, <laughs> before y'all get, y'all get real unruly. But, uh, you, it, it's, but you, 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 it's not that those very things, see, the first one, the very thing loses its, its, its satisfaction, but in the rust part, you know, the symbolism is that it still has the same enjoyment, but you're not in the same position to enjoy it anymore. So, again, you put your hope in this thing, but now when you get to this point, where, where's your hope? That very thing that you killed yourself to live for, now you can't even enjoy it. And thieves, he said, and where thieves can, can come in and steal. Thieves don't only mean, doesn't thieves, the word thieves doesn't only mean literal thieves, but the uncertainty of wealth. Suppose someone lives their whole life investing money and all of a sudden there's a crash and they lose all of it. This is just one example of the uncertainty of wealth. Anybody who invests know that you could put all the money and you can, you can have so much interest on it, and the next moment, it's gone. 2008, we had a recession. Many years before we were all, all even, even here, the, the Great Depression happened, where people thought they were rich, they were loaded, and all of a sudden, next, next minute, the stock market crashed, and you have nothing. 
lines are on the streets of, of you know, of welfare and, and, get, and getting all these, all these aids and all this stuff. These people are, were people that were, had the mansions, that had the cars, that had all the, all the wealth that everybody was going for, but now in a quick second, they're gone. So Jesus is telling these people, why even put your hope? He's trying to save us from the pain. Why put your hope in these things that will pass away? Um, while we're talking about the, the uh, wealth piece, turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 6. 1 Timothy chapter 6, where Paul is uh, writing this letter to Timothy and kind of expounds on this uh, wealth piece. Going to read uh, 3 to 10 first. Uh, it says, If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, he is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions, and constant friction among people, among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth imagining that godliness is a, is a means of gain. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pains. Paul warns against false teachers whose motives in godliness is to acquire material gain. People, Paul says true gain is godliness without contentment. I don't know if y'all knew, but there's some people who uh, do things like preaching and, you know, singing gospel and, and doing all these things, you know, that have Jesus' name on it, but for their own gain. There's a lot of people that they don't even believe the stuff that they're talking about. But because they know that it's easy money, they'll do it. Especially when people are paying $5,000, $10,000 for people to come out to their church to come in and preach. And that's easy money. All I do, and you're paying my travel expenses. I get pretty much a fifth or, or, or a huge chunk of, of what most people are making in, in the average household for just for me to fly somewhere, talk for 30 minutes about something that I may never believe in, but they're going hooping and hollering about it. I get to, and I go right on the plane, right back home to chill until somebody else invites me. Then if I go to enough of these places, people are going to invite me almost every week, and I'm going to have to turn them down, and I'm going to have too much money flowing my way. These people are doing these things for material gain, and Paul is warning Timothy against these people. Beware of these false teachers that come here. All they want is the material gain. Paul is saying, listen, <laughs> we, we, if you go to Philippians 4, Paul is saying, I know what it is to be in abundance. I know what it is to be without. Paul was in, in the book of Philippians, he's writing the book of Philippians at the bottom of the jail. Like, like he's not sitting in his mansion, got his $100 pen uh, in, in notebook and writing up these letters. He's sitting there and <laughs> he's sitting there in jail in a moment where he could be, like what we said before, a person in despair. A person in despair but chooses to say, in another part in the book of Philippians, to rejoice. I say always rejoice. 
Are y'all with? He's in the one of the worst. I would never want to be locked up. I won't survive in, in jail. I won't. I, I just don't got the caliber. I'm not a thug. I'm not a gangster. You put me in there, I'm probably going to cry for the first week. And then the other week, I'm going to be quiet in, in, the, in the corner. I'm probably not going to talk to anybody. If anybody talks to me, I'm going to cry right when they say my name. I'm like, listen, I don't know. This is My name George. I, I, I'm not jail fit. Can you imagine Paul, who is a high official in, in, the, in, the, in, uh, in the Pharisees, but now put in jail for this belief. And in that moment, in that, in that time, he's writing letters, continuing the, doing the thing that he's put in jail to, number one. And number two, doing it in light now, you know, yo, I need you guys to come out here. I need you guys to bail me out. I need you guys. He says, listen, if I'm in jail, I'm in jail. But while I'm in jail, continue doing what you're doing. Don't stop. So Paul is in this moment in jail. And he's still preaching this gospel. And that's why Paul is telling Timothy, beware of these false teachers who are doing this for material gain, because that's not the real stuff. But it, and I, I'll bring up this point, too. At one point also, I forgot what book it is. He says, um, there are some that truly preach the gospel. There are some that do it for their own reasons. But guess what? As long as the gospel is being preached, the gospel is being preached. But as far as trusting these teachers, beware of it. There's another part uh, where Jesus is talking to the disciples, and he says, beware the hired shepherd, because when danger comes, the hired shepherd will leave. But the good shepherd knows his sheep and loves his sheep and will protect them. So there's these people that come up here, and there's these ministers that do these things for personal gain, and, and Paul is warning Timothy against these people. So Paul then tells us that godliness is not tied to material possession. Material things are temporary. We brought nothing into this world, like you said, and we can't take anything out. Possessions are simply tools we can use to glorify God. This should be our main focus when it comes to what we have. It is given by God for God. Having basic necessities, food and clothing, like he said in verse, in verse uh, 8, where he says, no, I'm sorry, yeah, verse 8. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. He's saying having basic things... As food and clothing, we can and should be content. And so let's actually go to that, the, the passage that I, I mentioned just earlier, Philippians 4. Uh, we're very familiar with Philippians 4.13. Um, I think I brought this up last week. I'm not sure. But we're very familiar with Philippians 4.13. But uh, let's realize the context from where that uh, we, I can do all things through Christ comes out of Philippians Or verse 10, 13, and Paul says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have, review, have you revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. So Paul is trying to get to Timothy to tell Timothy that we need to be content with the basics. If you got food on the table, you got clothes on your back, be content. Be content. We can't live a life where we're looking and we're striving and we're killing ourselves to get all these extra stuff because all the extra stuff will pass away. Make sure you're fed. Make sure you're clothed. And that's the basic needs. Now, be able to afford a, a BMW over a Toyota. We're going to talk about that a little later. 
as long as you're doing it right, and then we're gonna talk about as far as how to rightly maneuver if we if we do have those things. But it it doesn't mean that you know you not necessarily have to uh, abase yourself to getting you know dri riding a bicycle everywhere instead of getting a car for that sake. We're not talking. I mean, some people are called. They want to do that. They want to do that. There's no problem. But it's not necessarily calling us that we you know have to go to the minimal. But what we're saying is that even if we get that BMW, let's not live for that BMW. Even if we get that house with the indoor pool and the four bedrooms and the three baths and the island uh, counter in the middle of your, your kitchen and, and, and the family room and all that, even if we get a one-room uh, one apartment, be content because you have a place to rest your head. Materialism is a desire to possess things instead of a love for the God who created them. Romans, Paul talks to the Romans and he says, He's, he's talking about the state of, of mankind, and he's saying that they have, they have worshipped the creation rather than the creator. And that's, what we, that's the state we live in. Idols don't have to be these huge statues of gold and silver and bronze. Idols are those things that we put above God. That's why even in one psalm where they're talking about these false gods, they're saying that, you know, they're made of wood, and they're made, they're made by these man-made, these, uh, these, they're made, these man-made statues. But understanding that those things have to bow down for, to the very God who created that. So that God that they made in bronze, he has to bow down to the God who created bronze. That God that is made, that's made of gold has to bow down to the God who created gold. Because that God wouldn't be created unless God created the material for him to be created. The little g wouldn't be created by the, unless the big G made the gold, which is another G. That, whatever. All right. <laughs> but y'all get me. That we, God is the creator, and we need not to be in a position where we worship the creation over the creator. That's why money can't be, that's why he says, Jesus says at one point, he says, you can't serve God and money at the same time. Because it's either you're going to love one and hate the other. It's either you're going to follow one and forsake the other. Because at some point, sometimes it, it seems like the roads are the same road. But at the point in our lives, and anybody who's, whether it's money or whatever you want to fill in the blank with, there comes to a point where at first you thought, you know, this is the same thing. I'm serving God while I'm doing this. But at some point in your life, you're going to hit a fork in the road, and you're going to have to make a choice with what you're going to follow. That's the thing. Don't get, don't get fooled when everything matches. You know, I'm doing this thing for, you know, uh, you know listen to all the musicians. I'm doing this thing for the glory of God. This is, I'm doing this. I'm playing, I'm playing this, music, you know, this instrument in order to glorify God. And, you know, you're, getting, you know, you're doing it full time, so you're, you're getting money on it. But let's make sure that you're living for the right, the right piece of it, that you're living for glorifying God and not for the money you get from it. Because at some point, something's going to happen where you're either going to ask to either glorify God or go after the money. And that, that conjoined, that, that, that mutual agreement that was once there has now split, and now you have to choose where, where, your, where your, uh, your, your loyalty lies. We have to keep our hearts that we are worshiping God, that we, that we serve God and God is the supreme, and that we worship the creator over the creation. Paul is addressing in this, in this part, in this, this passage that I wrote, um, I wrote, I didn't write it, but <laughs> I read uh, Paul is addressing those who desire wealth and don't have it. He's letting them know that they shouldn't kill themselves to achieve it. The love of money alone is the root of all evil, not, af not money after it is acquired. Let's get, that let's get that corrected. You don't have to have money to be dealing with the root of all evil. The love of money is the root of all evil. 
You could be poor, broke, and disgusted. But that point, that love of money, is, you're still dealing with the root of all evil. It's not after you get the money that you're dealing with the root of all evil. Money itself is not the root of all evil. But the love of money, whether you have it or not, is the root of all evil. Because that love of money, like he says in, the, in verse 10, I believe, where he says it has caused many to wander from the faith. Because, again, they hit that fork in the road, and they have to choose, and their loyalty, those people that he's referring to, their loyalty lie with the money, and they, they wander from the faith. So in this passage, he's talking to those who, are, who may be wanting wealth but don't have it. Let's skip down to uh, verses 17 to 19 in the same chapter, 1 Timothy 6. And now Paul changes the perspective or, or the target of where he's talking. He goes, ask for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasures for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so they may take hold of that which is truly life. Paul tells Timothy to instruct the people with wealth not to trust in the uncertainty of wealth, but instead to be rich in good works and to give. In this way, they may take hold of life that is real. That's the real life. Paul is saying, listen, you got the money. You think that's the real life? The real life is being in a position to bless others. Our aim, if we're aiming to be wealthy, our aim is to be able to use that to glorify God. You know, I've heard the term being used, and I think it's a great. There are people who are born to be kingdom investors. There are people that God has strategically put to be wealthy in order to give back to his his cause. Or to be able, not necessarily, you don't, and it doesn't have to be this huge organization, it doesn't have to be this huge church, but guess what? It may be the person you're sitting right next to. Being a kingdom investor doesn't mean that you haven't invested in a business. Being a kingdom investor is investing in God's business, and God's business is on the individual level. So your money may never, oh, let, now I'm not talking about tithes and offerings. Let's make sure that, that we, I don't get no, you know, no uh, uh, soundbite and saying Alan is preaching against giving money to the church. But outside of the tithes and offerings, I was talking about the extra investment. That extra investment may never touch an organization's name, but you know people around you who are in need. And you can learn to be a blessing through how God is blessing you. God blesses you to bless others. And so um, it says, we can enjoy our possessions, but only knowing that God has given them to us as a gift. We are to enjoy in light of the giver, not simply to give. Remember that what we have, everything we have is a gift. Um, let's go James. Hold on. I'm trying to remember exactly what this is. James 1, verse 17, actually 16, says, Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. So we have to understand that everything that we have is a gift from God. All this, the wealth that we have acquired, acquired, Everything, we, everything on this earth is the Lord's. Let's, let's start there. And when we do things the right way, I'm, I'm not saying that, you know, you go along the means and now you try to justify, well, you know, even though I sold drugs to get this money, you know, this is God's gift, so I'm keeping it. No, that's a whole different thing. 
But acquired the right way. If the Lord has brought you to wealth, we have to understand that God has gifted us with that, right? Understand that it's God's gift. Let's say, for instance, like, if, if, if Brian, because you're right in front of me, uh, if Brian gave, bought me this iPad, right? And Brian's like, yo, listen, Alan, I'll give you this iPad, you know, for your birthday, Christmas, whatever. And now Brian's like, yo, Alan, one day, like a couple weeks later, a couple months later, like, yo, Alan, I really need that iPad real quick. Brian gave it to me. Like, it would be, it would be wrong. It would be, it would be like, nah, chill, you good. You don't need to use my iPad. Because I have to remember that Brian is the one who gave me the iPad in the first place. So if Brian needs my iPad, then it will be, it will be only right that I let Brian use my iPad. Are you with me? So if God has gifted us with things, and God now is asking for us to use it for him, it will be wrong for us to tell God, no, 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 you good, I got this. You're with me? So we have to remember that everything that we have is a gift. Timothy is charged to instruct them to be generous and ready to give. By giving their earthly rewards, they're storing up their heavenly rewards. This is a reason why people should not be so attached to their possessions that they are selfish with them. If you are resistant in giving your earthly rewards, you are equally as resistant in receiving your heavenly reward. We must keep that in mind. We have to be free in giving with what we have. Of course, we go back to what PD said. We got to be wise in it. Don't, you know, if you only got one coat for the whole winter, you know what I mean? Don't go around and just be free and just give it away. Like, you, you be wise. Be wise. But, in, but we know in the point of a place where we have abundance, where we have enough to give, give. It makes no sense that we're sitting here, our bank accounts is rising high, and we're hearing that same person's testimony every day. I don't know how I made it this week. I, I live paycheck to paycheck. You know, I do everything. I have to support my kids. At the end of paying the bills and everything, I really have nothing, but the Lord has kept me. Don't just clap your hands and say amen and let them sit down. When you're sitting here, sitting on money you haven't touched in years, and you're sitting there, be a blessing to them. And it doesn't necessarily mean that you have to give a whole chunk of money. Buy them dinner one night. Give them, go to, take them to the grocery store and, and, and buy groceries for the whole week to support their family. Be able, be in a position to give. I believe the more that you have, the more free and more your ears have to be open in a way to be able to give, to give what you have. So the more that you attain, I, I, would, I would advise, this is my advice, but the more that we attain, that the Lord brings us to, to attain a, a lot, let us in that same time learn to be more sensitive to the needs of people around us. That's how we show love. You know, and, you know, we always refer back to that John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. So we have to give his... He gave his only begotten son. We have to be able to give these material. And again, these material things will waste away. They're not going to last. So why hold on to them? Why there's somebody who is in need of them now? You don't need them now. But somebody in need of them now, but you're holding on to it for this imaginary thing that you're looking to, this emergency that you're looking to, this crisis that you're looking to, and you know that you have more than enough to get through whatever that you're imagining. So what he's saying is that we need not to be selfish with what we have. He's talking to, the, to those who are wealthy. And to not trust in the uncertainty of, wealth, of riches. Because in one second, your whole status will change. Going back to Matthew 6, uh, Matthew 6, and verse 21, he says, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. In verse 21, what we treasure is, he says, what we treasure is, what we treasure is where our heart is. No matter what we say, our true selves and our true desires come out when our treasure is affected. 
Jesus is saying that if your treasures are of this world, then your heart is also. We are called to set our eyes and our hearts on things above. We read it in, first, in 2 Corinthians just earlier. Um, in, in Colossians, it says that exactly. To set our minds on things that are above and not here. What does it look like to lay up your treasures? I'm, I'm almost done. What does it look like to lay up the tre- your treasures in heaven? It sounds like one of those lessons in the Bible we nod our heads to and we walk away having no idea how to walk it out. Laying up treasures in heaven means giving everything you have to glorifying the Lord. It means to hang loose with your, your possessions. It, it's okay to have things, but the problem rises when things have you. All right, with me. It's okay. It, that's, what, that's going back to what I was saying before. It's okay to have. It's not, God is not punishing those who have. But what he's saying is, what are you doing with those things? Or the question is, do you have them or do they have you? A lot of us are constricted by those things that we have, that we're supposed to be masters. And as I was learning about finances a couple years ago, I was reading a book, and a quote said, um, tell your money where to go instead of wondering where it went. We allow these things to, to rule our lives. Like, money is a possession, meaning we are supposed to possess money, but yet we allow money to come in and out in our lives without any telling us. It's like our kids. You don't let your kids come in and out of the house without you telling. I can imagine if Elijah was just like, yo, mom, I'm out. Deuces. Like, unless Elijah says, mom, we're going to Chuck E. Cheese, or we're going, we going to such and such place, I need to know where you are, and I need to know who you're going to be with, I need to know why you're going, and I need to know when you're coming back. So in the same way, in money, this is the kind of finance 101, when you know your money's coming in, you need to know where your money's going and why it's leaving where you're going. We shouldn't be surprised with our account. And when we're surprised, that's when we need to call the bank. But we shouldn't be surprised and be like, oh, yeah, there is that bill. Oh, yeah, there is that. We should know where our money, and, and that we are taking control. We are called to have dominion. But it seems like those things that we are called to have dominion over have dominion over us. So, uh, yeah, that's a quick finance 101. But in everything, we need to have control. We need to take control of the God-given control that we are given. We need to be good stewards over what we have. You know, we have... We have you know, cars we don't maintain. We have, uh, uh, we have, we just given these possessions and we're not good stewards over them, pretty much. And so it's, it's okay to have things, but the problem it rises when things have you. Even a good thing can become a God thing. In an example, the rich young ruler. You know, he comes up to Jesus and says, Jesus, how can, you know, oh, good teacher, how can I, you know, make it to heaven? And he goes, you know, he goes down, you know, the, the, the commandments, you know, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt honor your mother, father. He goes, hey, listen, I did all that. He says, okay, so go back, sell all your riches, and give it to the poor, and then come back to me. And says the rich young ruler left sad. Why? Because the money that he had had him. He, was, he worshipped it, and so now when he's come, come to the, the fork in the road, because like I said, before then, he had to have been walking on a mutual agreement. Everything was good. You know, I was I'm a devout Jew, because he said it. I was following all the commandments. I'm a devout Jew, you know, and I'm, and I'm getting money. So now everything's good. I'm good. I'm following the commandments, and I'm rich. But now I'm hitting the fork in the road where I'm forced to either follow the, uh, uh, the Lord or follow my money. And he walked away sadly. And I think the key point, he didn't walk away rejoicing knowing that he was going to keep his riches. But he walked away. You know how somebody's a slave, and they know they're a slave? And it's like they know they have to do what they got to do, so they got, they're going to do it, but they're not going to do it with a smile on their face. That's how constricted, that's how imprisoned he was. He knew he needed to be free, but could not be free. 
So he walked away sadly, knowing what he should have done, but knowing that he couldn't do it. We need to never be in that position. If one day the Lord calls us to do something, if it's the Lord, do it. We need not to be like the rich young ruler, knowing what we should be doing. Because of our, our, our enslavement, because of our, our, our idol worship, we, we can't do it. And walk away sadly, just like, like the rich young, young ruler did. Three takeaways and then the applications. Number one, earthly treasure will pass away, which makes it meaningless to live our lives for them. We are to store up heavenly treasures that are eternal. I'll repeat it. It says, earthly treasure will pass away, which makes it meaningless to live our lives for them. We are to store up heavenly treasures that are eternal. Because we know we live past this life. Amen, right? And so we need to store up in those eternal things because we can't store up on those things that get... Because right now we live in long lives here. But in comparison to eternity, it's just a little, a little nugget that we forgot. So we need to store up our treasures in eternity. Number two, we must acknowledge that what we have is from the Lord and for the Lord. We are called to give generously. We shouldn't wait for a big event to give. We should always be looking for ways to be a blessing to others. Echoing what I just said is that we have to remember that what we have is a gift from the Lord and it's also for the Lord. And should be not waiting for this big event, this big fund that they're looking for, you know, you know, $10,000 to renovate the church. But even before that even comes to pass, person who needs $10, be able to give, give to them. So let's always look ways to be blessing to others. Number three, it is not sinful to enjoy our possessions as long as we recognize who they're from. We cannot allow material to become our God. So it's not a problem to enjoy. You know, if the Lord blesses me, I'm going to have a nice car, I'm going to have a nice house. Am I living for that house? No. You know what I mean? It's not, I'm not going to allow that to drive my life. So it's not about not enjoying it. It's not about not, as long as I, if, here's the problem, and I, and this is, I, I kind of digress, but here's my issue with, we can live in a community, and, I, and I'm going to give Bible reference to that. We can come to a church where one person, for all the right reasons, is still in a position where they can't afford some of the basic needs and in that same church sitting next to them, we have somebody who has an abundance so much that they waste those things that the other person needs. Bible reference. In Acts chapter 2, it says that when the church came together, they sold all their possessions. So that way nobody in the church was in need. Like I said again, we can't sit here and listen to somebody testify that, you know, or ask for prayer requests. Lord, I, you know, I need y'all to pray for me. I don't know. I don't know how I'm going to make it through this week. You know, I got this I got to pay for. I got this I got to deal with. And we're sitting there with the solution in our hands and don't give it. How can we say that we love that person? It's love by word and not by deed. If I love that person, when they hurt, I hurt. When they're down in the dumps, guess who's down in the dumps with them? I am. But the Lord has blessed me in such a way that I'm not down in dumps to sit there and soak in with them, but I'm down there to bring them out. So we have to be keen. We have to be, our, our ears have to be sensitive to be able to be like, listen, there's a need there, and I know I have more than enough to meet it. Not sit there, well, I'm going to pray for you, brother. I'm going to pray for you, sister, that the Lord is, uh, you know, good. Uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a, I think I, I got to go to Mercedes to go service my car real quick. Are you, are you going to the bus right there? 
Good, good. You might want to take a rest. It's a little bit of a walk. Great. All right, I'm going this way. Bye. No, it shouldn't be like that. So even when we're enjoying our possessions, we have to have it with the right mindset. Application. And then I'm done. Number one, ask yourself, what is my treasure? Find out the deciding factor in some of the major decisions you've made in your life. Discover the why behind everything you do and pursue. There's a lot of soul searching. What has been the base reason for a lot of the major decisions in my life? What is my treasure? You have to see, because a lot of times it may look like something. When you, like I said, a lot of these mutual roads may have us fooled. But let's really look at the major decisions we made in our lives and what was the thing, the driving factor behind it all. Number two, if your treasure is an earthly treasure, simple, repent. Deprive yourself of the feeling that you need that earthly treasure because it, commit, it causes you to commit idolatry. If it's something that is not eternal, if it's something that's not God, ask for forgiveness. And I, I, I don't say that in a way of domineering or you need to repent. But the fact that he is willing to forgive us is the amazing thing. The fact that we are willing even, re- repentance is a gift. It's not a punishment. Repentance is a gift. The fact that we're able to go, Lord, listen, I messed up. All this time I thought I was living my life for you, but I wasn't. And he's willing and able to, to forgive us and start us back on the road again. So deprive yourself of the feeling that you need that earthly treasure because it, commits you, it causes you to commit idolatry. Number three, pray and fix your eyes on heavenly treasures. Seek to know God, again, even when I wrote this, but see, we're drilling in the mission statement for the church, but seek to know God, seek to love people, and seek to make disciples. We have to fix our eyes on the heavenly treasures. Fix our eyes on what those things that are eternal, because guess what? We are eternal beings. We need to fix our eyes on eternal things. And number four, because we're human, repeat when necessary. Because sometimes we're going to get it right now, Couple years down the line, dynamics change, situations change, and we have to go right back to step one and get, get ourselves right again. So remember those things. Um, with that, uh, every head bowed, every eye closed. Thank you, Lord. Uh, thank you, Lord, for your word that corrects us and, and puts us on the right path, Lord. We thank you, Lord, that uh, we have something more than this earth to live for, because if we only had this earth to live for, we would be in despair. We would be hopeless, Lord. But, Lord, we serve a God who is eternal. We know that we are, Lord, to spend eternity, Lord. And we thank you for the opportunity and the gift of, a gift of being able to spend eternity with you, Lord. Lord, let us seek um, to store up our treasures in, in earth, and in, in not in earthly treasures, but, Lord, that we seek to store up eternal treasures, Lord, heavenly treasures, Lord, where moth and rust cannot destroy and thieves cannot come in and steal, Lord. Lord, that we put our lives on what matters. And, Lord, we thank you for um, the gifts that you've given us, Lord. And we, we ask for ways to be able to be a gift, uh, a blessing um, for those who need it, Lord. Um, change, fix our hearts, fix our minds, uh, and have us sensitive to the needs of our brothers and our sisters, Lord. Let us love not just in word, but also in deed, Lord. Um, that even when some, before someone even asks for help, Lord, that we may be able to be there as a help for them. Lord, we ask, Lord, that, uh, that you, you make us more and more like you, that the same way that you are a giving God, that we may be giving people. And, Lord, we can rightfully represent you. Pray all these things in the master's name of Jesus. Amen.